Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoy today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. Would you please stand for the reading of the word? We are in Revelations 21, and I'm going to be reading from 21:22 to 22:7. I did not see the temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, the flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of my prophecy in this book. This is the word of the Lord. All right, hey, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today and for this incredible book called Revelation, in the back of the great book. We thank you for how you reveal yourself to us. And Lord, I'm just asking that you do that again today. Lord, all of us, we need to hear from you today. Lord, would you open our ears to hear what your spirit would speak to us, Lord? Lord, would you speak through me today? Would you anoint my words, Lord? I know your word is anointed. And so, Lord, I just pray that your word would reveal to us who you are in greater ways. Lord, may we see you for who you really are in in our lives and in this world. Lord, again, I pray that you would captivate our hearts. Capture us, Lord, in a world where we're captivated by so many other things. Lord, I pray that our hearts would just be captivated by you more than anything else. Lord, I pray that you would do that by the power of your spirit who is alive and at work in this place and in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So, hey, I'm excited for next Sunday. Next Sunday, we are starting our Christmas series. 
So it's called, All I Want for Christmas is blank. And so we'll have fun with this, but really it's going to be a series that we're going to talk about some things that deep down inside we all long for, we all want, we all need. And what we're going to hit on is a lot of emotional health stuff. And so next week we're going to talk about rest. All I want for Christmas is rest. Anybody need a little bit more of that in their life right now? <laughs> in, a, in a world that's full of unrest, I think this is a great thing for us to talk about. How do you and I find and experience true rest in life? And so I'm excited for, for next week. It's why we're going to actually decorate. Some of you guys know this. You're welcome to stay today after service. We got food, lunch is provided, and we're going we're gonna to deck the halls here today. And you're welcome to join us if you'd like. But I'm looking forward to this Christmas series. It's going to be great. And I want to encourage you to pray and think about who do you need to invite? Who do you need to bring this Christmas that needs to experience the peace, the rest, the joy that God has for them? And some of you have been asking and wondering like, okay, Tyron, when are we going back to two services, which is something that we all want to do, uh, but really it's going to take all of us doing this. We are just at this place where we're waiting for, uh, for our church to continue to grow, to get back to the place where we need these, both of these services. And it takes all of us. And I just want to put the call out, put the challenge out to all of us to create a culture of invitation. Let's just get used to like inviting people constantly. There are people in your life that need Jesus. And they need his hope and his rest and his healing. And, and so just begin to pray and think about who can I bring to church this Christmas season? We're going to hit some really good, important stuff. So we're not going to just talk about presents or our two front teeth. We're going to talk about things that we really need deep down inside. And so I would encourage you uh, to do that. But today is the grand finale of the book of Revelation. We're coming to a close. Season three is coming to an end. Here we go, and let me just say this. This has been an incredible journey for us through Revelation. I have loved this series. I've loved preaching through Revelation more than I've loved preaching through any other book in the Bible. It's been so incredible. So what God has spoken to me, what he's done in my life, has been uh, so impactful. And this has been a good journey for all of us. And so today is the conclusion. I'm going to share a lot of scripture, which is good. Because you want to hear more of God's opinion than Tyrone's opinion. Like God's opinion is more important than my opinion. I'm sure you all care about my opinion. But God's opinion is more important. Like his opinion has stood the test of time. It will stand for all of eternity. It will never go away. God's opinion changes people's lives. God's opinion sets people free because his opinion is truth. And the truth sets us free. So we're going to have a lot of scripture today. And uh, it's going to be, I would say, uh, a little bit more on the serious side because of what I think God wants to speak to us today. So just lean into this for the next few moments as we look at how the Bible and how Revelation ends and this picture that we get again of heaven. So let me start the way I started last week. When you think of heaven, what comes to your mind? What picture do you get in your mind's eye when you think about what heaven is gonna be like? Do you get excited? Do you get a little uh, like apprehensive, nervous because of the thought of death or eternity? Do you, does it seem vague to you? Because what I've heard from some people is like, I just don't know. It's very vague to me. I don't really know what to think about heaven. But I think that we should. I think we should know what is this place that Jesus is preparing for me? 
You ever gone to a new place, like a new destination for vacation, and you're like, I got to research this. I want to find out what's all the cool stuff to do there. Anybody do that? Like, I go crazy hard on research. Or when you move somewhere, I remember moving to Phoenix. I remember researching what's this place like? What's the popular things to do? What's the Phoenix culture like? I just remember doing lots of research because I'm getting ready to move my whole family here. And I want to know what's it going to be like. And I think we should have the same approach to heaven. You and I have this invitation, this opportunity to spend eternity in a place with Jesus forever. I think it's good for us to study as much as we possibly can so we can know what it will be like. And the good news is we got lots of clues and indications about what eternity will be like. So let me describe heaven to you. Let me see if this, tell me how this makes you feel. Does this fit your idea of uh, of heaven. It's a place where there's no sickness, there's no pain, and there's no more death, as we talked about last week. You get to eat the best food you've ever had, and you can have as much as you want. You get to enjoy your friends, your, your best relationships, your family uh, for, forever. You can visit the most beautiful, the coolest destinations And for the rest of your existence, you will never, ever, ever have any more conflicts again. How does that heaven sound? Does that sound good? Does that that satisfy you? (laughs) Would you be satisfied with that heaven? Would you be satisfied with the heaven that doesn't include Jesus? Because that's what I just described there. Was a heaven that does not include Jesus. And oftentimes that's where our mind goes. Oh, just think about it. Like all the stuff that we hate about life, it won't be there. Death, pain, drama, sickness, disease, all that kind of stuff. We think it won't be there. And we kind of get this picture in our mind that, that heaven's going to be this great place for me. And it's all about me. And we go there because we're all egocentric. Come on, let's be real. Because this is often how we live our life. We live our life where life is centered around me. Life is all about me, so how I filter everything in life tends to be about me. What's in it for me? How am I going to enjoy it? How am I going to be entertained? Is it going to be good for me? Because if it's not, then I don't know if I want to go. We kind of filter things through that, if we're honest. And we can think about heaven the same way, because that's kind of how we live life. And so here's what I want to submit to us today. Here's the message for us today. Jesus is who life is all about. And he is the greatest joy in this life and in the life to come. He is the greatest joy in this life and in the life to come. And I pray that you would experience his joy and his presence more and more and more in this life. I pray that you would be someone who doesn't just believe in him, but you walk with him. You experience him and you experience his power and his presence throughout your days. You know, it's possible to have this, this, this term, uh, it's, it's called to, to live a life as a Christian atheist. Have you heard this term before? A Christian atheist. It's where I believe in God, but I live as if he doesn't exist. It's a Christian atheist. It sounds like an oxymoron. Like it doesn't make sense. But too many believers, they, they, they believe in him, but they live as if God doesn't exist because they're not living that life of faith. Nothing they do in life requires any faith, and they've, we've just kind of made life about us. I'm just living for me and kind of living. It's all about me. And so what's, 
taken place as we live life when we make it about us as we miss out on all that Jesus has for us. We miss out on his power and his presence in our life on a regular basis. And so we can find ourselves doing this. We live a life where we believe in Jesus, but we don't actually even know him. And that's the goal, that you and I would know Jesus. That's the basis of our salvation right there is knowing him. That's the basis of our, uh, of our relationship with him. Just knowing him like we would know a friend, growing in intimacy with him. That is really the basis of, of entering eternity. Did you know that? It's all about knowing him. Jesus said this as he's praying and talking to his father. In John 17, it's recorded. And this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the one true God. And Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth, this is how we experience eternity and step into eternity. It's all about knowing him and having that relationship with him. In fact, Jesus also said this, Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Isn't that crazy that you and I can go through the church motions? We can even see the presence of God take place, yet still not know him personally. And so this is the goal, friends. This is what it's all about, is knowing him. And I pray that you would grow in your relationship with him uh, closer and closer and closer, because here's, here's the reason. Jesus is the greatest joy in this life and in the life to come. This is why I think Paul said this. He said, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So what is Paul saying there? He's saying, life is all about Jesus. It's who I live for. This is why I exist. He's done everything for me. I'm just living for him. And when I die, hey, even better. That's what Paul is saying. To live is Christ, yet to die is gain. Like, do you believe that? Do you really, like, really honestly believe that? I think we admire the passion and the commitment of Paul. I think we intellectually will agree with him, but do we really believe this in such a way that's how we live our life? Do you have this mindset of like, I'm just living for Jesus, and if I die, great, even better. Because most of us have this mindset of, if I die, um, oh, wait, wait, Lord, not, not yet. I'm not ready for that yet. It's like, I got lots to do. Like, I don't know, it just, it's just kind of scary. So not yet, Lord. But I love you. But Paul's like, hey, if I die, awesome, I'm ready. It's going to be even better. Man, I, I would love for us to have that mindset. I pray that I, I just want to continue to grow in that in my life. Jesus, I'm living for you. And when it's my time, awesome, I'm ready. Because I know that when I am fully present with you in that moment, it will be far greater than what I'm experiencing right now. That's Paul's mindset. I believe that should be our mindset because he is the greatest joy in this life and in the life to come. And the joy we experience in the life to come, guys, is gonna be far greater than the joy you and I experience even now. And this is what Revelation shows us. As we dive into Revelation, we have seen that it is all about Jesus. It's, he really is our everything. 
He is the one who's going to wipe away every tear. He has already conquered death so that it won't be even needed anymore uh, in eternity. He is the one who is making all things new. He's going to replace the sun in the end because he will bring light to the new heaven and the new earth 24-7. So what we see more and more and more through Revelation is how great and incredible and how glorious Jesus is. And I pray that we would get that again today. And so we're going to take a few moments and let's just look to Jesus. Let's remind ourselves of how incredible and powerful and amazing Jesus is. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go back to the beginning of Revelation. Just as a little bit of of a review, a little recap to kind of set up coming back to the very end of Revelation. Chapter 1, verse 1 says this, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you want to know what Revelation is all about? There it is. The first five words, we see it. It is not just a revelation from Jesus Christ. It is a revelation about Jesus Christ. So that word revelation is the Greek word apocalypsis. We've talked about this where it means an uncovering or revealing, which is why we call this series Apocalypse. And what we are getting apocalypsed with in this series is that Jesus is pretty incredible. Jesus is awesome, and we just want to stay faithful to Jesus because he's going to always be faithful to us. And so Revelation is, first and foremost, all about Jesus. We get incredible imagery, incredible word pictures in here of how great he is. And John, from the very beginning, starts describing and talking about Jesus, and he gets so caught up and so excited about Jesus that five verses in, he busts out into a song. See, verse five, you see a little doxology there, a little song. He just writes, a, he starts writing down these words of a song. He begins to praise Jesus. And then you get to verse nine. It says this, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Remember, uh, Revelation was written to a generation of Christians that were facing intense persecution. For over 30 years, they had been bullied and pushed around and persecuted and, uh, you know, pushed as outcasts and even killed, martyred by the Roman Empire. They were subject to the Roman Empire in ways that most of us have never, ever experienced before. So revelation comes at the end of the first century, in the 90s. John gets this revelation to a persecuted church that desperately needed this message. And John is saying, hey guys, I'm with you in this persecution. I'm a companion in the suffering. That's what he says there, right? He's been through it. And so history tells us that John actually, they tried to kill John several times, but they couldn't kill him. He just like stayed alive for some, some reason. And so that's why they sent him to the island of Patmos. Like, okay, let's just arrest him and send him to that penal colony, Patmos out there with all those other convicts. It's, it was like an Alcatraz in their day. And so that's where John is now. But he's experienced much persecution just like they have. And it's here on the island that John receives this apocalypse. It's a message that Jesus wants to give to his church in that day, but really it's also a message for the church of all day. It was to them, but it's for all of us as well. And the message is this. 
I, know, I can see you're going through persecution. But here's what I want you to know. It's going to get worse. But if you stay faithful, I will strengthen you. If you endure, you can be an overcomer because I will, I will strengthen you. And what I have for you on the other side will be so worth it. That's the message they got. I'm sure they're thinking, come on, Jesus, now's the time. Like, we've been under intense persecution for a long time. They're probably hoping, like, Jesus is going to say, hey, I'm coming next year, and uh, we're just going to make all things new. We're just going to bypass Revelations, you know, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 10. we're going to go straight to chapter 20. 20. That, they would have loved that. Um, but what Jesus said is, it's not going to only keep going, it's going to get worse, the persecution but I'm going to be with you. I'm going to strengthen you. But then what I have on the other side for you is going to be worth it. And this is a message that was meant to encourage and strengthen them, but not just them, but us too. So that you and I would know that no matter what we go through, Jesus is with you and he will strengthen you. And what he has for you on the other side of that will be so worth it if you hold on and endure and stay faithful to him. It's a key theme in Revelation. And so uh, let's keep going on. Remember this. This is one of the things that we learn in Revelation. Jesus isn't just preparing a place for us. He's preparing us for that place. And so the work that he does in you is worth it. He wants to keep working in you, transforming you from the inside out, because he's preparing you for that place in the end. So verse 10. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit... And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. So this is where it all begins. The revelation, the apocalypse on the Lord's day, probably Sunday. They began worshiping Jesus on Sunday because that's the day he rose from the dead. So what I love about John here is that you can see John hasn't given up in life. He hasn't quit. He hasn't thrown in the towel. He, hasn't, he doesn't have this mindset of like, well, I had a good run in ministry. Man, decades, I was faithful to you, Jesus. I'm just going to go hang out on the beach here in Patmos and just kind of just drink some margaritas and just have some fun here and just kind of live the life uh, in my dying days. That's, you can see that's not John's mindset. He is still worshiping, seeking the Lord. He is in the Spirit. And it's one day, one day, Jesus visits him and has this revelation for him. And it's a revelation that is going to change the whole world. The whole world needs to hear this, not just for that generation, but for generations to come. And I want you to remember that Jesus is inviting you to come to him, to experience him, to, to experience his presence today as well. To be in the presence of Jesus is not just for super special Christians. It's for all of us, for ordinary people. And I pray that you and I would experience his presence more and more every day, throughout the weeks. You and I can experience and be caught up in his presence too. This is the call and the invitation for all of us. And what Jesus speaks to you, what he reveals to you, it may not change the whole world, but it might change your world. It might change your family. You need him to speak to you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to meet with you. This is Revelation 3. I'm standing at the door and knock. He's talking to Christians. Y'all are too busy. Come on, let me in. I just want to spend time with you. It, it, we need these moments where we are, like John, in the Spirit. And then he goes on to describe how he first sees Jesus 
in this apocalypse. Let's look at this again and come on, just let, let your imagination go there. As John describes Jesus here, he says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands was someone like the son of man. He sees the lampstands, but then he's caught up by the someone. There's someone like the son of man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining with all its brilliance. Come on, this isn't like, no, this is no wussy Jesus. This is like mighty, powerful, kingly Jesus in all of his glory and splendor. I love this description. And so John's response is this. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And you would too in that moment. I've had moments like that. Maybe you have too. It is possible to have an encounter with the presence of Jesus that is so real, that is so uh, tangible that you just fall down. I've been in, in moments where the presence of God was so was so great, was so heavy. I didn't fall down, but I had to lay on the ground, just cry out to God. So John's response was, he just fell down like he was dead. <laughs> then he placed his hand on me and he said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death in Hades. Sometimes we need those moments in life where Jesus just touches us. He puts his hand on our shoulders and he says, don't be afraid. You don't have to worry about this. I'm here. I got you. I'm still alive. Oh yeah, I was dead. I love that Jesus spoke that. Yeah, I did die, but I rose from the dead and I'm still alive. Which again is why we trust the words of Jesus. Like Jesus, not only did he fulfill hundreds of prophecies through his life, ministry, and death and resurrection, but he also himself predicted, I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise from the dead. And then he pulled it off. And now he's saying, I'm coming back. We can trust all of these words of Jesus because he's already fulfilled everything he said he would. And so now we wait in eager anticipation with this hope that Jesus is coming back. He is alive. And he holds the keys. He has the authority over death and Hades, which we read a couple chapters ago. They just get thrown into the lake of fire. They're no more needed in, in eternity because Jesus has authority over them. And then this verse here, verse 19, right therefore, he says to John, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. This is a key verse, I think, for all of Revelation because it really shows us what's Revelation about. Well, John's seen things for then and for later. So right there in one verse, we see Revelation is for the church at that time, but also for the future. So it's a very important key verse for us. And then John begins to get these messages from Jesus. 
for the seven churches in Revelation. And we read through those in chapters two and three, the seven messages of the seven churches. And all of them are so applicable today. And then he has another invitation to John. He, he basically says, hey, John, come further up and further in into this revelation, into my presence. And so you jump to verse four. Again, this is just setting us, setting us up, just reminding us of where we've been, what revelation is all about. But it's reminding us of who Jesus is and how powerful and great he is. Chapter four, verse one. After this, I looked And there before me was a door standing in heaven, and the voice I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. I love that invitation. Come up here. I'm going to take you higher and further into this vision, this revelation. I got more for you. And again, Jesus has the same for you. There's going to be times in your life you're going to sense him calling, hey, come up here, come up higher. I, I, got, I want to draw you closer to me. I want more of you, and I have more of me for you. And it's up to us to respond to that invitation. He has more of himself for you if you want it. His invitation is come, come to me. Come to me, Jesus said. Are you you're tired? You're weary? I got rest for your soul. Come to me. Jesus is saying to John, come up here. This is the calling for us, guys. And so then John says, at once, I was in the Spirit. So there he is again. He's, in, he's, he's saying, I'm in the Spirit. And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. <laughs> so, just someone. No big deal. Someone. There he is again. He's like, same word. This someone has captivated John. He's caught up in the spirit. He's in heaven. He's in the throne room. And there he sees him again. The one who's been talking to him. Someone is sitting on the throne. And and Jesus, I mean, he has this incredible vision of the throne room. Chapters four and five are so incredible, guys, of what, what, what God's presence is like. It's likened to Isaiah 6 and the, the vision that Isaiah had in chapter 6. You can read about it there. But then from there, Jesus begins to speak, and uh, through him and through his angels, John's writing all the rest of this revelation. And so you, you, you kind of, we can get caught up in what happens after that and the timelines and all this kind of stuff, but I think it's important for us to just always center it around Jesus and what John is seeing right here, the someone on the throne. Because here's the deal, guys. 100 years from now, you and I will not be fascinated with end times theology, but we will be fascinated with the someone on the throne. 100 years from now, that's all that'll matter. We won't care who was right or wrong in our end times theology. We won't care how it all played out. We'll just be fascinated with the someone who is on the throne because of how great Jesus is. Guys, I pray that you and I would have fresh revelation of who Jesus is in our life. I pray that you would have moments where he becomes greater, more powerful, more beautiful, more loving than ever, ever, ever before in your life. We see this so clearly in Revelation. And I pray that Jesus reveals himself to you as well. And where would we be without the book of Revelation in the Bible? Can you imagine the Bible without Revelation? It would be so incomplete. We would be missing out on so much, especially in how great Jesus is portrayed, probably more great and more clearly than in any other book 
in the entire Bible. Like we need the book of Revelation. All the 11 remaining disciples, except for John, have lost their lives for their faith in Jesus in this moment when John receives this revelation. It's as if Jesus has spared John's life because he knew he had one last message for the church. One last message for that generation of believers, but also for the generations to come that are going to follow him. He wanted to make sure that John, one of his disciples that he had walked with, received this apocalypse and that we would have it as a part of of our Bible because we were going to need this and to know that no matter how hard it gets, no matter how crazy it gets, that he will be faithful to us and what he has for us in the end is going to be worth it. It's the book of Revelation. So this leads us to chapter 22. Here we go. The end of Revelation, the end of the Bible. Where do we go from there? We'll just have to start preaching through my table of weights and measures and the table of contents and stuff and maybe going through that, I guess. Verse 1, chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God, and of the Lamb. You know what this shows us? This is representing the work of the Holy Spirit still in operation, even in eternity. The Holy Spirit is still bringing life and power and, and, and doing His work in all of eternity. It's the rivers flowing from the throne of God. And it's, it's, it's amazing to think about. The Spirit continues to move and work. We are Rivers Church. And I pray that we would be a place where where, where people can experience the Spirit of God flowing in and through us. I, I pray that we would live up to our name. I pray that this church would have the Spirit moving in and through it and that it would flow out into our city and impact our city, that lives would be changed and transformed because you and I are just a bunch of river people. We're a bunch of the people of the Spirit. Everywhere we go, we are taking the river of God, the Spirit of God with us. And He is using and anointing us by the power of His Spirit to see people's lives changed. But this is cool. Even in the end, the Spirit of God is at work. Verse 2. Uh, It's flowing down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. Oh, wow. Here it is again. In the end, it shows up again. It's in the beginning. Now it's here in the end. Bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. This is one of those verses that all those essential oil people like. That's right. That's that's what God's stuff is for. Healing people. (laughs) But this is the tree of life. Here's what's interesting. What we see is that God's not just restoring the new heavens and a new earth in a great city. But what he's doing is he's bringing us back to the garden. It's not just a great city. It's a garden city. And he's restoring the garden of Eden. But we get to experience life as God intended it to be. You know that our eternal destiny is connected to the earth's eternal destiny and all of creation's eternal destiny because of one issue. And it's found in verse three. No longer will there be any curse. 
I think that's one of the most significant verses in all of Revelation. Maybe in all of this, all of Scripture. Because it's hard for us to fathom what that would be like. No more curse. It is easy, one of my favorite verses in the book of Revelation. No longer will there be any curse. Hmm. It takes us back to Genesis 3. Fall of man, Adam and Eve's sin. Sin brings a curse, not just on mankind, but on all animals and plants, all creation. The entire universe is affected by the curse. And so what we need to understand is the curse is real. Like we feel the effects of it in our body. We feel the effects of it as the older we get, like the worse our body gets for most of us, right? Some of you haven't hit that peak and started going downhill yet, but for most of us, we have. We feel the effects of the curse. The curse is real, but here's the good news. It's temporary because Jesus is the cure for the, cur for the curse. And the curse will be no more. It will be gone. Picture this, guys, because we've actually never experienced an earth the way God intended it. We don't know what the earth is like apart from the curse. You think how good, how good God's creation is now? Under the curse? Think about how great it's going to be on the other side. Huh. We haven't experienced food after the curse is lifted and gone. We haven't experienced relationships. We haven't experienced culture and life. Our bodies, as we talked about last, last week, are still under the curse, but then no more curse. Our perfect bodies for all of eternity. We have not experienced God apart from the curse. And in the end, the curse is gone. It is no more. Jesus has broken the curse, and it will be gone, and we can experience life the way God intended it to be with him the way he originally wanted it to be. It's hard for us to fathom, but just think about that. As good as some things in life are, it'll be far better because the curse, no more. Very, very significant verse. Verse four. The throne of God and the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. Wait a second. Am I reading the right verse? That was verse three. I skipped that part. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Um, there will be no more night. Uh, let's go ahead and just jump to verse seven for the sake of time. Okay, verse seven. Behold, Jesus says, I'm coming soon. As if he hasn't said it enough. He says it again. And he'll say it one more time in this chapter. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. You know that this book is the only book in the Bible that comes attached with the promise of a blessing? You and I are blessed by keeping the words of the prophecy in this book, by obeying it, by living it out, which is an echo of verse three, chapter one. This is how this book started. Look at verse three. Chapter one, blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy and, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. It's the only book that comes attached, the promise of a blessing. You and I are blessed as we live out the words of Revelation. And let's jump to verse 12. Jesus here again says this, behold, I'm coming soon. 
my reward is with me, and I will give everyone according to what he has done. Uh, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. And praise be to the grace of God because that is what some of us were. Outside of his grace and him cleaning us and cleansing us. You know, some theologians think that that hell or that lake of fire is gonna be right outside the city because of this. See, those are gonna, people are gonna be able to enter the city. The others will be stuck outside the city. Maybe it is. Verse 16, I, Jesus, or sorry, let me go to verse 14. I wanna skip that. Blessed are those who, no, I'm at 16. Sorry, I'm confusing myself. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bride and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come and let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. So at the end of this revelation, this apocalypse, the spirit it is stirring the bride, the church, to echo the same calling, the same message, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. Hey, if you've never come to Jesus, there's no better day than today. The Spirit is calling you to come to him. Come to him. In verse 18, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this Book. That's not a good thing, by the way, because we read some of those plagues and they were nasty. And if anyone takes away words or words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, "Yes, I am coming soon." And with that, the apocalypse ends. But John's got a couple other things he wants to add at the end there. He says, amen to that. <laughs> yes, come Lord Jesus. John's like, I'm ready. I'm getting old. I'd rather you just come. Come now, come soon. We would say the same thing today. Come Jesus, we're ready. Then he ends by saying, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. And the last word of the Bible is, Amen. <laughs> Amen. Hmm. My summary of this 22 book full of crazy stories about beasts and dragons and all this stuff is Jesus reigns. Jesus reigns. He reigns today and he will reign forevermore. The question is, does he reign in our hearts? Does he reign today in me? And that's the goal. That's how we're called to live. Jesus reign in my life. I see clearly that you already reign. You're on your throne. You're gonna reign forever and evermore. I need you to reign in my life. And so I pray that the message of Revelation would encourage you, you and I to keep going, to stay faithful, to stay strong. Hey guys, you're gonna go through stuff in life. Life's gonna get difficult. You may face intense persecution. God may call you to a country to go preach the gospel where you could lose your life 
but stay faithful to him. And he says, what I have for you is worth it. So I will strengthen you. You can endure. You can be an overcomer. Hey, Jesus will never let us down. He already went through the cross. He promises to never let us down. And going through the cross proves it to us. He's already done everything for us that he could ever do. And he says, I'm coming back. And so when I come back and I make all things new, it will be worth it. No matter what you go through, it will be worth it if you stay faithful to me. And let me just encourage you guys to endure, to endure, to endure. Hey, the cost of quitting is greater than the effort of enduring. Do not quit. The cost is too great. It is not worth it to quit. It is worth it to endure. The Spirit of God will encourage you and infuse you with strength to endure. Let's be people who endure, no matter what we go through, and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. I want to close with a story. tradition in the Renta family when we go on road trips is we listen to all seven books of the Chronicles of Narnia. If you were here for my post-sabbatical sermon, you heard me talk about it because God spoke. Every year we go through this on our West Coast road trip back up to Seattle and and back, and we just love it. It's like the highlight of, of our trip, one of them, and a couple years ago, we actually flew up to Seattle and our kids were so disappointed. I, they almost, we almost had a coup in our family because like, no, we drive, we road trip there. That's what we do. They love road trips. And partly because they just love listening to the Chronicles of Narnia. And plus we just have a lot of fun in our road trip. But uh, every year God speaks to me. I shared that in my post-sabbatical sermon. And I wanted to end by sharing with you the words of C.S. Lewis and how he depicts eternity. It's amazing how he describes the kingdom of God all throughout the Chronicles of Narnia to kids because it's so profound, not just to them, but to me and to us. There's so many times as I'm listening to C.S. Lewis talk about God and his love and his kingdom and redemption, and I just get those Jesus bumps on me. I'm like, ooh, that is so good as I'm just driving down the road listening. It's the dramatized version, the radio theater version. It's super cool. It's like you're listening to a movie. I always love the last battle. It's the last book. It's how basically C.S. Lewis depicts revelation for us. It's so cool. It's so amazing as he does it through this kid's story and he brings it to the end. And there are the kids, some of them are growing up as adults. They're standing before Aslan. They don't, they aren't quite sure if this is eternity. They're hoping they think it is. They're wondering and Aslan turns to them. And this is what he says. He says, you are, as you used to call it in the shadowlands dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. What he's saying is this is just the beginning. Oh man, when he gets to this part, guys, I just, every time, tears. And as he spoke, it goes on to say, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I can't tell them. And as for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story. 
which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever and ever, and in which every chapter is better than the one before. Can you feel that? Can you picture that? Let's stand. Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.